Hello, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Are You a Fan? If you like this episode, give us a like, share, follow. And we're bringing back the guests from last week. Uh, this one, this time, not as many uh, jokes that will offend people, but maybe. <laughs> How's it feel to be back, Caitlin? Uh, it's good to be back, and I'm honestly really excited to learn more about The Tick, because I remember watching like the old animated series in the 90s. I think it was on Cartoon Network. Um, when I was little, and then I just kind of really haven't touched it since then. So I'm interested to know like more facts about the tick. Dude, remember Saturday morning cartoons? Like, oh, it was different. It was different back then. And yeah, no, the tick is definitely a staple of I feel most millennial children. To where if you bring that up to somebody who has who's forgotten about, they're just it's gonna be flashbacks. Mm. Memory unlocked. Right. So let's get into it. Real world, the tick. So, The Tick is a superhero created by cartoonist Ben Edlund. And once again, I always apologize if I butcher names. So, in 1986, as a newsletter mascot for the New England comics chain of Boston-area comic book stores, the character is a parody of American comic book superheroes. So, he was kind of just created as a mascot, which is interesting to know <laughs> yeah and i totally get the parody thing um because oh, yeah. there's definitely i feel like i remember a lot of like tropes and stuff uh in the old cartoon on cartoon network right they had like they had uh, we'll get into some of the knockoff characters <laughs> yeah so in uh 1986 18 year old um cartoonist bed edlin created the tick as a mascot for a newsletter of the brockton massachusetts store new england comics where he was a frequent customer so pretty cool that um you know to get to make a character for a place that you frequent that's pretty neat all right yeah like i oh i would if only i'm also just not that good of an artist anymore so Edlund expanded this into stories beginning with the three-page tale the tick in the New England Comics Newsletter, issue number 14 through 15, July through August, September through October in 1986, in which the hero escapes from a mental institution. And I seem to remember something about a mental institution in the comics, that he's just kind of a crazy dude. Yeah. And like, I love it. Which, I, if I remember, like, even in most of his betrayals, that's the general consensus. Like, he's just kind of a crazy guy. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, I do love that. So the character became popular, and the store financed a black-and-white comic book series with the first issue released in June 1988 and subsequently reprinted at least nine times through the next decade, including later editions with additional content. The Tick sidekick, who I love. <laughs> I love this sidekick. The Tick sidekick, Arthur, was introduced in the Tick number 4 in April of 1989. Also, like... I didn't realize like kind of how old this character is was created. I I don't know why I assumed he was just like created in the nineties and that, but like just knowing that he was a bit of a decade earlier, kind of cool. Yeah. And also, yeah, his sidekick is hilarious. Yes. So spinoffs followed featuring characters such as uh, Paul the Sam uh, Samurai, Man-Eating Cow, and Chainsaw Chainsaw Vigilante. So Eden continued to write and illustrate these projects initially through his years as an undergraduate film student at the Massachusetts College of Art, which kind of cool knowing that like he was that was what he wanted to do. He's not just yeah. a Ram guy who's like, hey, here's this character, whatever. <laughs> and that. Yeah. And like I said, it's that's why it's so interesting that it just started as like a little mascot for a 
right. comic book store that he liked. And now, you know, we come up to 1994. Uh, the Fox Network introduced The Tick as a Saturday morning cartoon series, which Edlin wrote and co-produced. Lasting three seasons, the animated series provided The Tick's greatest mainstream fame. Because, yeah, like, that's oh. that's where we all know it from, is that. Exactly. Like, I get, I, I guarantee probably locally the comic is a big deal. But internationally, the cartoon. Yeah. Like, that's what made it. Like, even the live actions, I'm like, yeah, they were all right, but they weren't yeah. the cartoon. No, <laughs> not at all. Townsend Coleman voiced the title character, and Mickey Dolenz played his sidekick, Arthur, in season one. Rob Paulson took over uh, the Arthur role during season two and three due to issues relating to standards and practices. Edlin was not allowed to feature the comic series supporting cast characters in cartoon due to characters such as Chainsaw Vigilante and Paul the Samurai being deemed inappropriate for children's television show. Which, given some of the stuff that they were like, yeah, just show that to kids in the 90s, how was Chainsaw... Like, Chainsaw Vigilante would not have been the worst character we probably were exposed to. Like, I, it's one of those, like, nowadays I hear people, they're like, oh, there's so much violence in cartoons. I'm like, I watched a drunken Wolverine try to bang Cyclops' wife as a child. That's what I was watching. A drunken man who was, fi- who was five foot one walk around and just be angry. So, like, Chainsaw Vigilante, I mean, don't think it was that big of a deal. Same. <laughs> Uh, as such, new supporting cast characters such as Di Flatermouse, a Batman parody, <laughs> American Maid, a Wonder Woman parody, which that seems way more insensitive. Right. Like, oh, the female character probably cleans stuff. Like, all right. Um, and Sewer Urchin, a parody of Dustin Hoffman's character from Rain Man. Also, hey, what are you doing <laughs> as far as what's appropriate for children? Let's take a parody of a man who is severely mentally challenged. And that will probably be funny for kids. I'm like, forget it. Throw Chainsaw Vigilante back in there. How is that worse than woman stereotype and guy who lives in the sewers with mental problems? I will argue American Made, if I remember correctly, she was kind of based on the Statue of Liberty, her design. Yeah, that does make sense. So a little less insensitive when you, you're like, oh, yeah, I guess. Ameri- American lady. But still, yeah, a parody of Dustin Hoffman's Rain Man. Ooh, boy. Man, this show would have been canceled. <laughs> so sadly, so sadly, then you just stop scrolling up down. It shows your name oh, over the, the sorry. words. Sorry. So, so Can you read it when it moves, Richard? <laughs> How's that dyslexia treating you, buddy? Not great. <laughs> <laughs> so sadly, Edlund uh, did not secure ownership rights to said character. As such, are, the characters are owned by the animation studio Saban, who made the series and are exclusive to the animated series uh, continuity. Which, oh man... At least poor man copyright your stuff before you send it to yeah. someone. I wonder if he even, I I wonder if it's one of those situations where he didn't even think that it would get the notoriety that it has now gotten. So it's kind of one of those where you're like, ah, it's just a little character that I came up with, it's whatever. And then next thing you know, it's like someone realizes there's like a bunch of money in this and you're kinda 
up a creek, you know? Yeah, which really, I always feel bad for ours when that happened because all I remember, my mom's big about that with like my comedy and stuff and that she's always like, remember copyright, remember get signatures. And uh, poor man copyright, folks. What it is is you go to the bank, you get an em- you get a paid same-day envelope, you set, you mail it to yourself with the content of whatever you've created. And that because the post office will date and stamp it. So that way, it, if later on somebody tries to steal it, you can prove I was the creator. I had never heard of poor man's copyright, but oh, that's I'm, uh, I'm big about that's a good man. one. That's a good one. So reruns on Comedy Central helped make the series a cult hit with adults. The 1997 book, The Tick, Mighty Blue Justice by Greg Hyland, creator of Lethargic Lad, was published as a tie-in with the animated series. <laughs> lethargic Lad. That, uh, I feel like Lethargic Lad, very, yeah, that's my superhero. <laughs> Real sleepy. Which also I do find funny. It's like uh, the Comedy Central thing. I'm like, isn't that Comedy Central's job is to make cult classics? I feel like it, yeah. There's like, a lot of stuff. But then again, it's like I'm not surprised I was exposed to The Tick when I was allowed to watch like Tank Girl in syndication. <laughs> True. So Not a show for kids. Or not a movie not. for kids. But now I'm like this, so <laughs> that answers the question. Okay, so the Tick seems to have no memory of his life before being the Tick, and indeed not much memory of anything more than... uh, The Tick seems to have no memory of his life before the Tick, and indeed not much memory of anything. More than likely, this is due to frequent head injuries. Each media adaptation has a different origin of the Tick. A lot of them... Head injuries. Yeah, I do. I do remember that. And, you know, CTE's no joke, kids. Gotta <laughs> wear your helmets. Uh, in the original comic series, the Tick is apparently legally insane, having escaped from a mental institution near the city. Something I love about these spoofy comics when they just like nay the well, like uh, like Townsville and Powerpuff Girls. Yeah, like just like <laughs> it's the city, and it's like what city could be any of them. Like it's Got the buildings. city, Citytropolis. <laughs> Which ah, uh, that is great. So a square-jawed, muscular, bright blue costume figure with antennas sticking up from his head, the Tick is a surrealistic parody of superheroes in the vein of Dave Sims' character, uh, Cerebus the Aardvark. Some of the names I'm like, I'm loving. I'm like, these... They sound like Comedy Central or Saturday Night Live characters. Yeah, I definitely, there's some of these names that I don't think I've thought of in years, and now they're just in my brain again. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's a thing. We're going to be giving a lot of millennials flashbacks with this episode. So, <laughs> he's a well-intended, friendly, childlike, good-natured, high-spirited, bombastic, frequently obtuse, and prone to quipping odd, dim remarks and inspirational speeches filled with bizarre metaphors. Spoon. Spoon. I spoon and I'm also excited about um seeing Arthur's like frequent battle <laughs> cry. Yes. So the tick is known for his nonsensical battle cry, Spoon, which I just said, uh, which he decides upon one day while eating a bowl of drama flake cereal. God, the names I'm loving them. Uh 
War Warburden describes his perception of the Tick character as Warburden played him. I yeah, I think that's one thing if you take away from it that just is something that I feel like some of us who don't remember all the cartoons and stuff we grew up watching, just one day you'll just be standing and your brain just goes spoon and you're <laughs> like, I don't why where? And it's like, oh yeah, that's from the tick. So Oh, such a great show. <laughs> His past is a mystery. So everything that he looks at or perceives can be brand new. And he can't get really, really excited and intrigued by something that's just a commonality for everybody else. That's humorous. He's like a child. Everything's new. So you just bring that attitude to him, a childlike attitude of discovering things. And that's a quote from Patrick Warburton, um, who played the tick. Which... I remember the character and yeah, he just the most naive childistic, like, and not in a weird, creepy way, but just like this dude who's just like fascinated by yeah, everything. Every, around everything's exciting. Like and every I, encounter, even going to battle, he's just like, he's like, Ooh, fun. Yeah. Everything's just, you know, if you take away one thing, it's approach life the way the tick would. Exactly. Childlike wonder. I wait. I wish I wasn't, I wish I wasn't dead inside. <laughs> So originally the tick's costume was meant to be brown, which, you know, it, the tick, it makes sense. Uh, but it was decided that blue looked better in print. I always find that fascinating when like just certain changes to like characters, costumes or colors is a hundred percent. They're just like, they're like, this would just be easier to do it this way. And that yeah. we cut, like, I think I remember we covered that in the Dragon Ball Z Goku episode. That the guy was just tired of drop blacking in the ink of the hair, and he's like, "Make him blonde, so we don't have to do that." <laughs> so, uh, in the tick uh, versus the tick, uh, Warren the tick is confronted by Barry, an unstable pseudo hero who also calls himself the tick. Barry wears a brown costume similar to the ticks, which fun callback to what like I feel like that I love inside jokes like that in comics <laughs> yeah and it kind of makes sense with the tie-in of just so many different uh superheroes that it seems like every superhero has at least one nemesis that's just him in different colors yeah. and you're like well okay <laughs> that's a hundred percent like and i love that yeah because like superman has bizarro and yeah every Oh my God. Yeah. That's a, that's funny on multiple levels. Yeah. Yeah. There's layers. There's <laughs> there, layers. There's definitely layers. <laughs> so the tick is named after an arachnid, much like Spider-Man. The logo of the series also resembles that of the 1994 Spider-Man series. Which makes, which makes sense. Um, also, yeah, I, Dick Rail, did not know that ticks were, were arachnids. Yeah. It's, they got eight legs. And it's one of those I never thought about. I don't know what I thought they were. Well, mites are also arachnids. Any like any eight-legged creature. Yeah, when I was doing the research, like there's a little thing, it's like it's like arachnids. I was like, I clicked on it's just like all these are arachnids. I'm like, what? Have I been lied to? Have I just not known the truth? <laughs> Your eyes are wide open now. I'm seeing the code, man. <laughs> so according to the live action series, the tick is six feet six inches tall, weighs 230 pounds. Um Six inches and 170 pounds less than his dimensions in the comics, and has blue hair and eyes. <laughs> just love it. Like, yeah. Under the costume, it's just all blue. Also blue. 
Uh, so in the comic series, the ticket's gets a job at the Weekly World Planet newspaper. He works in the same office as Clark Oppenheimer, who is also a superhero called the Caped Wonder. Gee, I wonder what that's a spoof of. <laughs> Oppenheimer has all the typical Superman powers, including X-ray vision or see-through vision, super strength, invulnerability, flight, and my personal favorite, heat vision or very hot vision. <laughs> and super hearing. Consequently, he looks down on the tick as a lower form of superhero with limited powers. Which is funny as a parody because I'm like, Clark, I'm like, I'm like, Superman looks down on nobody. <laughs> True. But I do, I love the image of like, especially with Superman's popularity of just this uppity dude who's like, oh, right. you're the tick. Well, I have very hot vision. And it's like, oh, wow. I also <laughs> love it. I love it when they make those minute changes to certain words in that, like they're going to be sued. And they're like, well, we can't call it heat vision because. Superman has heat vision. We can't call it x ray vision. X rays, those things are patented. We call it see through vision. And hot, very hot vision. Uh, so, like many superheroes, the tick has a sidekick, a rather plump. Former accountant named Arthur. Oh, I did love Arthur. Yes, dude. Yes. So Arthur wears a white moth suit that allows him to fly. However, he is often mistaken for a bunny due to the long ear-like antenna of his costume and the fact that his wings are often folded up. I remember you do. Do you remember when Taco Bell used to have toys? Yes. Do you remember when they did the tick? I had the 100%. little fly thing. I had his little fly toy. I yes. loved that thing. Oh my gosh. Let's put, you know, toys back in things. I mean, right? I think they still have them in like Happy Meals and stuff, but I want to be able to I know to... McDonald's still has it, but like it's I think most of them do, but you never think about Taco Bell or Wendy's having toys. Yeah, and they used to. That yeah. used to be every fast food chain's gimmick was put toys and stuff. And just for Taco Bell to team up with the people who are behind the tick just seems like the perfect thing. Oh, yeah. Taco Bell would definitely be all over that. Yes. Um, so the tick is impulsive and Arthur serves as a sort of conscience, which I remember that a lot. Yep. There was a lot of like, the tick was like, we're going to do this thing. And Arthur's like, Oh gosh, um, <laughs> I think it's a good idea. <laughs> he also figures out the schemes of villains and formulates plans to stop them. Arthur's battle cry is not the face, not the face. And I do <laughs> remember that Arthur just being so like, Oh, Terrified. I just, I don't, can we no not do that? <laughs> I remember there's an, and it, it goes back to like, these were for what they were. I'd love to go back and rewatch the series. Cause I remember some dark gritty episodes. Yeah. There was one where they go to a superhero bar, but all their sidekicks are forced to go into a like basic shed. <laughs> and, like Arthur's like walking up Get and they're like, the sorry. Sidekick shed. Yeah. They're Just... like, sorry, no sidekicks. You gotta go over into the sidekick. Like, place. <laughs> and he's like, wait, but it's funny. Cause he is the brains of the operation. He is. He like, kind of keeps it all on track. Right. Like, yeah, tick may be strong, but he would not be as successful without, this guy <laughs> and he's just like no go in there and it's just all these like has like characters bait like a dog smoking or something and, yeah. that. and there's like a gorilla who's like upset that he's there <laughs> just like a real dark gritty episode <laughs> so uh that's what we got for real world and this is one of those characters where real world and in universe kind of cross paths because i'm sure some of you are wondering like 
why are you giving us so much in-universe lore? I'm like, well, if you listen to the episode, like a lot of this also has talks about like why they did it that way. <laughs> yeah. So now we're going to get strictly into in-universe. Let's go. So in the comic series, the Tick is a wacky hero who escapes from a mental hospital and starts fighting crime in the city. Not much is known about the Tick's past because of his amnesia. However, in one comic, it is revealed that the Tick had a wife, uh, Chloris. He was a married man who became obsessed with trying to figure out what he wanted to do most in the world. Just the lamest put, like, just the most, like, I don't know. I like it, though, because, like, sometimes I like to believe that I could go into a fugue state and just (laughs) be a cooler person. So I I dig it. I'm like, we'd all like to just be like, you know what? I hit my head real bad now. I'm a hero. Now I'm the bride of Mothman. I don't know what to tell you, but that's who I am. (laughs) Yeah, I can agree. There's there's (laughs) days where I'm driving and I'm like, you know, I could just I could just like never come home and just start fighting (laughs) fighting crime in alleys. That's the dream. The tank is living the dream. Hundred (laughs) percent. So Chloris, due to her frustration with his obsession, tries to beat some sense into him and reminds him of his responsibilities at home, along with her desire to have a child with him. She gets fed up with him and storms off in anger, much to Tick's dismay. Later that night, he leaves her a note by her bedside, telling her that he is going for a soul-searching journey to find his destiny. Which, yeah, yeah, imagine just being like, man, my life's so boring, I have a kid, house in the suburbs... You know what? I'm just going to snap. I'm just going to snap. I'm finding it funny because this is very weirdly similar to the plot of Breaking Bad. <laughs> like blue stuff. Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> you think the writer of Breaking Bad was like like a fan of the tick? I'd like to believe that. That's I don't care if it's true. That's what I'm believing now. That's our headcanon now. Yeah. The writer of Breaking Bad is a stan of the tick. <laughs> and he's like, you know what? What if we did the tick, but like crime? <laughs> right? A lot more drugs involved. <laughs> so he... <laughs> Uh, I do love that. I, I seriously though, I do love it. <laughs> it's up there now. It's in everybody's head. Live with it. Oh, so uh, okay. So he wanders around from place to place until he finds out who he is and what his purpose is in life. He soon wakes up from an intoxicated daze after a night of drinking and finding himself roaming the Rocky Mountains. Uh, starts having delusion, delusional visions of a little cartoon character that tells him to attack a group of random college frat boys. Hey, man, if I had a nickel for every time that happened to me. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, we've all been there, right? But seriously, I, I love his character backstory, his like origin story, because I'm like, you could just do that. Yeah. If you wanted to. It's like, no, man, I got bills to pay. I'm like, you don't have bills to pay if you're a superhero vigilante. Well, and think about, like, this is how, because, like, I, this is where we kind of stop with his backstory, because this leads into him ending up in the mental institution. And that, so we've all, and we've already covered everything else that happens to that with the real world. But, like, thinking about that, like, that is realistic in the sense, like, if I decided to just go wander the Rocky Mounds, we're in Colorado, by the way. So you can do that. So I can do that. And I just was in a fugue state from drinking all night, and I saw some college frat bros being jerks or something. I could go attack them, and the worst that's going to happen to me, 
with me being like, I'm a hero. I was saving people. Is I'm going to end up in a mental you get a free pair of grippy socks. I get a free pair of grippy socks. Man, I could have taken a whole different trajectory after I got my pair. You could have been, yeah, you could have been a hero, Caitlin. Like, and now I'm disappointed that I've never been at that point. I'm like, we can get you there. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So a weirdly realistic backstory of the character. Okay, so let's get into powers and abilities. So the Tick possesses superhuman strength and uh, mass, which makes him capable of inflicting great damage on his surroundings if he is not careful. I remember that was like a major plot point of so many episodes. Oh, yeah. Is he's just a large, clumsy man. Yes. Probably this while- is more and more you. The more we listen to this, I'm like, Richard. <laughs> Derail, I mean. Who's that? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, oh my god, a large, clumsy man who destroys things around him, not even out of anger. Just, I'm like, this is sound. <laughs> no wonder I liked the character. So his full strength is never actually quantified, although he is capable of lifting whole cars with a single hand and comfortably bending steel girders. In the pilot of the 2016 series, the Tick claims to have the strength of 10, perhaps 20 men. A crowded bus stop of men. (laughs) The insane metaphors (laughs) really remind me of you, too. Oh, that, oh my God, I am. Just the amount of times I've heard you say phrases, and I'm like, that's not quite. (laughs) But it makes sense, I suppose. (laughs) It's technically, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. But you're not right. (laughs) The Tick is also nigh invulnerable, which means it's almost impossible to injure him in any serious way, although he is vulnerable to feelings of pain and his antennae are particularly sensitive, which, you know, makes sense. That's what the good Lord made antennae for, is to be sensitive and sense things, so. Right, and this, okay, so this is my favorite power of his. It's in the final power we're going over. Finally, the tick possesses something referred to as drama power, or basically a tendency for the tick's powers to increase as the situation becomes more dramatic. He can also survive in space without a suit and underwater without oxygen for at least a long time. I, again, that is, I just love... Like, ah, yes, what are your superpowers? Uh, I can survive underwater without breathing for a period of time. <laughs> like a long one. And it's like, okay, I'd like, so you, you can like breathe underwater. Because like in my mind, he's just really good at holding his breath. Yeah. It's not really, this is more like David Blaine type superpowers. than. Right? Just, I'm, I'm, I'm just imagining because he is arachnid. Like, have you ever put seen an insect underwater? Like, yeah, they can just be underwater for a long time. Well, fun fact, I'm pretty sure there is a type of spider yeah, that, that uh, has, like, the little bubble that it keeps over its um, abdomen yeah. to breathe. There's a, there's a spider and, fun fact, a lizard. I've seen the lizard. But, yeah, so I, I do love the drama power. Just the more dire the situation gets, the more dra- dramatic it gets, the stronger he becomes. Uh, Which is another one of those that it almost sounds like n- not a superpower. <laughs> right? Because it's like, we've all been in like high adrenaline situations and you're like, man, I didn't know I could move that fast. Or, you know, stories of people like climbing out of rubble or like moving rubble off of people to save them. And I'm like, that's just a dude. 
Which is why I think I love the like this. It's real. You the, could do this if you wanted to. Like, yeah, they're like, oh, it's a parody. I'm like, no, this sounds like a real person that's probably out there. I mean, heck, we all remember the period in the early 2000s when people were dressing like superheroes and going out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, 100%. Okay, so let's get into other media. All right, so as far as other media goes, um, he was also in The Tick. That was a 1994 TV series. So it was a series that aired from 94 to 97 um, on Fox uh, with Townsend Coleman voicing The Tick. So that, I feel like, is probably the one that we remember the most from our childhood is the OG one on Fox. Oh, yeah. I I think I remember it was on Fox and then, yeah, later on on Comedy Central. Because it still was Saturday morning cartoons, but I remember Fox used to do like a Saturday morning. It was Fox and uh, WB. Yes. Yes. Or CW. You had the the WW or had the WB. Yeah, before it became CW. Yes. Yes. Those are the main two. That. So, also, uh, The Tick 2001 TV series, a 2000, uh, from 2001 to 2002 live-action television series with Patrick Walbert as The Tick. Which, honestly, who could have played him better? Oh, yeah. That guy is, like, uh, for those of you who don't know, that's the dude who voiced Krunk and also looks like Krunk. Yeah. Yeah. Just his, I mean... Perfect. Oh, his delivery. <laughs> yes, on point. And such like a superhero voice. Right? Like, oh. I could 100%. When I think of like the spoon battle cry, right. it's his voice. <laughs> I think I've seen like one or two episodes of it. It wasn't bad. I forget why. Probably I didn't have money to keep my subscription to Netflix at the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, there was also the tick, a 2016 TV series. So that aired from 2016 to 2019, which is a live action Amazon prime television series with Peter. Oh boy. That's a Polish name. Uh, (laughs) Sarah Finowis as the tick Patrick Warburton was involved in the production of the series though, which I had seen. I had seen some like, I, I've seen clips of it, like, on yeah. TikTok or, like, I've seen previews. I don't know about It's one of those I'm like, I definitely probably should give it a shot. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's one of those that falls in that era of the cash grab of what did millennials like when they were kids? What can we rehash and spoon feed to them now that they're adults for their money? Right. Kind of thing. And I'm curious to see if it's good. The one reason I immediately was disinterested is he doesn't have his antennas. Oh, garbage. Yeah, he's just in a blue suit and just big guy. I'm like, where are the antennas? Why? That's just a bald man in a wet in a blue wetsuit. Yeah, at that point, you kind of gotta you gotta stick the antennae on there. Yeah. You're like, there he goes. Because even the one with Patrick Wol- Wolbert, Warbert, Warbert, words. Uh, even the one with Patrick Warburton still had the antennas. Yeah. And I loved it because, like, my it's funny because my brother didn't. He's like, he's like, how do they get them to move and stuff? So, like, as that's showbiz, baby, right? And I guess somebody told him it's like we use like controllers and wires. It's remote control. And he's yeah. like, oh my god. I'm like, how do you not put two and two together? Two and two together. I'm okay. like, the suit's haunted. Switchcraft. <laughs> but uh, okay, so that's what we got for the tick. And I guess we'll end it as we always do. You a fan, Caitlin? I am a fan. It was nice to get to know more about the tick that helped shape my childhood. Um, and also finding out that, you know, if you want to be a superhero, 
You can just, 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 you can do it. Yeah. And also, I just really want to reiterate, this is Breaking Bad. This is Breaking Bad. And I'm a fan of the tick. For anyone that's still listening, if you got something out of this, enjoyed the episode, or even liked the character before from a movie, comic, cartoon, hell, even that t-shirt that you saw one time, you're a fan too. If you want to jump on this train, why not subscribe and share with a friend? Dick Rail out. Y'all keep riding them rails.